It's also good to see so many visitors here with us this morning. Callie and her husband, it's good to have you with us. And back here, Lonita Thompson and uh, Dawn, we're glad to have y'all. Always good to have y'all back and, and visiting with us. We have been, it's been a, about a month now since we have been in First Peter. Uh, but we have been in First Peter for a long time. So uh, we're coming back, we're coming back to it. And we have noticed in the book of First Peter, we've kind of looked at it, Peter's travel guide for us who are strangers, who are foreigners in this world. And, and Peter makes that analogy at least three times in this letter. Paul uses the same analogy, talking about our citizenship being in heaven. And we've looked at the fact that Peter has said that we are God's elect people. We are God's chosen that we've been given a new birth into a living hope, that we've been called to be holy, that we are living stones in a spiritual building, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that we ought to live such good lives, witnessing to the people around us that they have no accusation really to bring against us. And that in fact, our good lives are going to to prompt people to ask us, why do we have this hope in such a hopeless world? And that we ought to always be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks for that reason that we have hope. And then he goes on to say that there's lots of reasons we have hope, but ultimately our hope is in Christ Jesus. Our hope is in him as a person. Our hope is in him as being the son of God, our hope is in his death. And ultimately our hope really is in his resurrection. That since he was raised from the dead, we have the hope of being raised from the dead as well. And we began about a month ago, we got to two points out of a three point sermon. And we didn't finish the third point, if you remember. So now the third point has become a three point sermon. I don't know exactly how that works. But if you would and you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Begin, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 or 20 through 22. Peter is talking about Noah and the ark. And in the middle of verse 20, he says, In it, the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I'm sure that if you, like me, if you grew up in the Church of Christ tradition. You grew up in the Church of Christ heritage. You have found that our understanding of baptism has separated us from many of our religious friends and neighbors. Our insistence on the importance of baptism to the salvation process puts us in conflict with others. Now, I believe very strongly in unity of all believers. I believe that we ought to find common ground where possible. But I also believe that we cannot compromise the teachings from Scripture 
on essential matters. Peter mentions baptism here in this passage. And this morning I want to explore some of the issues concerning baptism and see what God's word has to say. So my first point this morning is we cannot overemphasize the importance of baptism. Many who disagree with us say that we put too much emphasis on baptism. Well, that's all y'all think about. That's all y'all care about, you know, is, is getting people dunked. Anybody ever heard that? If you're, you know, old school, you've probably heard that. You know, you put way too much emphasis, way too much importance on baptism. I say, this is me, I say, that's kind of impossible to overemphasize or put too much importance on baptism. From a biblically historical view, I think that we can see the importance of baptism. As Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, in Matthew chapter 28, he's giving the apostles there what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. I mix my NIV and KJV, I understand that. But you get it. Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's leaving the apostles for good. He's giving them his last words. And he says to them, make disciples out of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A few days later, the Holy Spirit descends upon the believers in the upper room. And it created a great commotion and great crowds gathered outside the house. And Peter stands up to deliver the very first gospel sermon. And he convinces those people that they had killed the son of God. Some of them had been the very, I'm sure some of the Jewish leaders who had been the very ones who had brought Jesus before Pilate were standing in that crowd. Others of them who had been kind of ramped up by the crowd and had yelled out, crucify him, crucify him, were standing there in the crowd. Others of them who were just convicted of their own sin were standing there in the crowd. And it says that the crowd was cut to their heart. And they said to Peter, what must we do? And Peter said, repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first time that people were cut to the heart about their sins and about what Jesus had done for them. And they asked, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. A little while later... In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Philip is called away to to preach to an Ethiopian who was a believer as far as Judaism goes, a convert to Judaism. And he'd been in Jerusalem, and he was on his way back home to Ethiopia. And he had a scroll with him. And it was a scroll of Isaiah. 
And he was reading about where it talks about that as a, a sheep was led to the slaughter and all these things. And Philip comes to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, you know, how can I understand this? Unless somebody explains it to me. Is this guy talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? I'm confused about this passage. And it said from that and it says from that point from that very scripture Philip began to preach unto him Jesus that was the message now we understand and we know that Philip's not going to have a long time to be able to explain to this man everything about Jesus, everything about the church, everything about religion. Go back and explain to him everything about Judaism and how it all applies. There was not going to be that much time. So he had to get to the very essentials. He had to get to the bare necessities, as we say. And somewhere in the middle of that conversation, the man says to Philip, look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? There's a pretty important deduction, I think, that we can make from that. There are lots of important things that Philip needed to teach this man about Jesus. Lots of important things that he needed to teach him about faith and and living righteously. But of, of the most important things, apparently was baptism. Because Philip took the time when he didn't have a lot of time to teach him about baptism. And the man made a connection between the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of baptism. Little later on in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is on the road to Damascus. And he's got arrest orders to arrest any Christians that he can find and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And he is ready to persecute and has been persecuting the church. And the Lord speaks to him on the road. The Lord blinds him and tells him to go into Damascus and he will be told what to do. And it says for three days, Peter did not eat or drink. Peter, Paul, Saul, Saul, hang with me. You know what I'm talking about. Saul did not eat or drink. And when Ananias comes to him in Acts chapter 22 in Paul's account, he says to him, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. I believe that Saul believed in Jesus as the son of God. Once Jesus spoke to him on that road. I believe that Saul had repented of what he had done. He'd been convicted of the fact that he had persecuted the church. I believe that he was ready to give his life over to God and to Jesus Christ. And yet Ananias says to him, you still need your sins washed away in baptism. In Acts chapter 16... Peter, Paul, and Silas are in prison in, or jail in Philippi. 
And we remember how that the, you miraculously, the, the, the gates of the, the jail are opened. And the jailer is afraid that everybody has escaped. And he says, what should I do? And Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the jailer takes Paul and Silas to his house. And Paul begins to preach to him about Jesus. And it says, I love this. It says, at that hour, I think King James Version may say, immediately, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his family were baptized. Again, Paul had a short time to preach the gospel message. And baptism is such an important part of that message that Paul preached it to the jailer and the jailer and his family wanted to be baptized immediately in the middle of the night, which meant going down to the river in the dark. I've told you before, nothing good happens in the dark. And nothing good can happen in the river in the dark. We got crocodiles and alligators and anacondas and, and, and them fishy things that eat you. What are those called? Piranhas. We got sinkholes and you drown. Got all kinds of things. Wait till it's daylight. But there was something important about it. Something so important they had to do it right then in the middle of the night. There are also too many verses that explain the purpose and importance of baptism. Again, Acts 2 and verse 38, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts twenty-two sixteen again, Ananias says to Saul then, arise and be baptized for the, and have your sins washed away. Washed away. I love Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 says that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have, King James says, put on Christ. NIV says, have clothed ourselves with Christ. Tradition, we, the young people, we sing a song called uh, uh, the new robe. You know, when somebody's baptized, I put on this new robe. And that new robe we put on is Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that when we are baptized, we are clothed with Christ. Why is that? Because when we are baptized, our sins are forgiven, our sins are washed away. We become holy in the sight of God. And when God the Father looks at us, he does not see us any longer. He sees Jesus Christ because we have clothed ourselves with him. Second Corinthians tells us that uh, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There is a sense in which I think as Jesus hung there on the cross, he was clothed in our sin. He was clothed in our unrighteousness. And that is why I believe that darkness covered the entire earth and the earthquake shook 
And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I believe at that moment, Jesus put on all the sins of the world and God the Father had to turn away. But at baptism, we put on Christ and God no longer sees me and my sin, but he sees Jesus and the blood he shed on the cross. And that happens at baptism. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 that we just saw, Peter specifically says that this baptism now saves us. And in Romans 6, 3 and 4, we see that beautiful analogy, how that our baptism, we are buried with Christ in baptism. And that our baptism is a reenactment. Our baptism is a, a symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And that we are raised to walk in a new life. There are many others as well. But we can see that baptism was important to Jesus. Baptism was important to the apostles. Baptism was important to the early church. Baptism was and is an essential, vital part of our salvation experience. But we also cannot overestimate the method of baptism. While some groups may pour or sprinkle, I think it's important to know that baptism, by its very definition, is immersion. That's what the Greek word means. The Greek word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, to immerse, to submerge. It was even used as a naval term to describe the sinking of a ship in battle. That's what the word itself means. And in fact, all biblical scholars, all honest biblical scholars, no matter what denomination they may be in now, no matter what their denomination may practice as far as the method of baptism, they will tell you that in the early church, there is no denying that baptism was immersion. Baptism was a dipping, a plunging. Back to the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They're traveling down the road. Now this man... He's a, he's a, a, a member of the government. He's, in, he's, a, he's the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia. And he's traveling from Jerusalem back to Egypt. I don't think you get to be in that position by being a dummy. Okay? This is a desolate part of the world. It is a hot, desert part of the world. Do you think for a minute... That he is traveling along this long road without water. Without maybe a jug, a jar of water in the chariot with him. Certainly without canteens. Certainly had water with him. And yet he waits until he sees a body of water. And he says, see, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, sure. Let me get the canteen out and splash a little water on you. No, that's not what he said. Could he have done that? Absolutely. Absolutely. He could have chose to do that. 
It's really a little inconvenient now to get down out of the out of the chariot and go off to the water. You know, let's just do it right here in the chariot with the water we got available to us. But it says no. It says Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Wow. Wow. That kind of says something. In John chapter 3, I believe it is, it talks about John the baptizing. And it says he was baptizing near Anon because there was much water. Now, John's baptism was a little different than the baptism we have, but the mode of baptism, the method of baptism was the same. He didn't just baptize by a well. where He he baptized somewhere where there was plenty of water to baptize. Romans chapter 6 again. In the analogy between the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It talks about our death, burial, in water, and resurrection. So I do not believe that we can overemphasize the method of baptism. Now, I do think that we can overemphasize the act of baptism. Whoa. Some of you freaking out. <laughs> Hang with me. Hang with me. We are, and I believe with all my heart, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. But I also believe that that is a believing faith. That it is a responsive faith. That it is a repentant faith. What is important to remember is that baptism is not an act apart from our faith. We don't have faith and then we are baptized. Baptism is our faith. Baptism is the God-ordained expression of our faith. Through which I believe the Bible teaches we receive the forgiveness of sins. And our sins are washed away and we're clothed with Christ. We can go back, and we've done this before, we can go back to Hebrews chapter 11. That great faith chapter. Where the writer is is talking about the importance of it. Without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he goes on and he says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Gideon, by faith all the... But then it always says, by faith so-and-so did something. How is their faith demonstrated? By doing something. By faith, Noah built an ark. Would building an ark separate and apart from Noah's faith and God's grace have saved Noah? I don't think so. If God had not told Noah to build an ark and God had not set in his mind that he was going to save Noah and his family, Noah could have built the best ship ever. 
and it would have sunk. I believe. Because he was saved by faith through by grace through faith. But that faith was expressed as God told him to. Build an ark. Abraham offered his son Isaac. I go back to that story in the Old Testament and I don't think it's an accident personally that it was put in there. It's about a foreigner to Israel. In fact, it's about a general in the army of the nation who is now troubling Israel. He's a Syrian. And his name is Naaman. And he gets leprosy. And all throughout Syria, everybody's trying to figure out, how do we heal Naaman of leprosy? And there is no cure then. And a little Jewish servant girl says, you know, there's a dude. There's a guy down in Israel. There's a prophet of the Lord who can save my master. And so Naaman packs up. And he gets all this gold and silver and clothes and all this stuff. And he goes down and he goes to the prophet's house. And the prophet doesn't even bother to come to the door. The prophet sends his servant and says, my master tells you, you need to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman, of course, is incensed. He is so mad. Have you seen, some of you have been there, some of you have seen other people. Where their face just turns all red, you know, and you can literally see the smoke coming out. This is what Naaman was like. He gets in the chariot, I would have hated to bend a horse. Or whatever it was, it was pulling that chariot. Because I imagine he was... Whopping him pretty good. We're going home to Syria. I'm not going to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Besides just a humiliating act of doing that, that's the nastiest river I've ever seen. And his servant says to him, Master, you know, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, scale a mountain, defeat an army, If he'd have told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. Why not? Why not? Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. I think this story, and we know Naaman does. He dips in the Jordan River seven times. Now, I've asked you this before. I think you're with me. I think most of you are with me. When Naaman goes down the first time and comes up, do you believe there's any difference? I don't. I don't believe that he is one seventh cleansed at that point. He dips a second time. I can't prove it. My opinion, okay? I don't think he could see a difference. I don't believe it was until the seventh time that he came up from the water and it says that he was cleansed of his leprosy, smooth as a baby. It wasn't 
technically the act of getting wet. And we might even question how much faith Naaman had. But he had enough to make him obey. And he received God's grace. We have to have that same faith that makes us obey and receive God's grace. There is no saving power in the act of baptism itself. Separate and apart from God's grace and our faith. Peter tells us here, it's not just getting wet. It's not just taking a bath. It's after and in response to our faith and our commitment to God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, in him, Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done by hands, but of men or hands of men, but the circumcision done by God, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You see, Paul was using the analogy that some of the Jews had. Well, I've been circumcised. That's all that matters. I don't have to live right. I have this tradition. I have this heritage. I had this act performed on me when I was an eight-year-old boy. And so now, you know, Eight day, eight day, right? Uh, eight day. Uh, and, and so, you know, nothing else really matters. I, my faith is in the circumcision. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. In and of itself, circumcision is nothing. And he says, in and of itself, baptism is nothing. It is only something. When it is a part of our faith through which we receive God's grace. Our faith is not in baptism. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead and his power. While baptism is the beginning, it is not the end. We continue to live holy and faithful lives before God. And as Peter said here, we recognize that the power is not in the act itself, but in the resurrected Christ and God's grace. The Bible teaches us that baptism is important, not because we say so, but because God has chosen baptism as his ordained expression of faith, at which point we receive forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are washed away and we are clothed with Christ. It is important. It is essential. It is vital. But only if our faith is sincere and genuine and lasting. Peter tells us it saves us. If we, you have not received the salvation that is found in baptism as an expression of your faith, why not? Give your life to him this morning. If there's some other way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.